because we all have value and we all have worth. Mm-hmm. And if you've earned that PhD or that doctorate or whatever it is in your field or your master's, you're qualified and you're credentialed and you do deserve to be where you are. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. I'm so happy that you all are listening and really excited for the episode that we have to share with you today. In this episode, I talk with Dr. Pat Sanders, who is a Black woman who is a professor, a tenure track professor. And she talks about her journey through academia as a Black woman and how owning her worth and knowing that she was unconditionally worthy knowing that she was qualified really has helped to succeed in her own career. I think there's a lot of wisdom to be taken from what Dr. Pat shares with us. She highlights the fact that really acknowledging your accomplishments and your skills and abilities is so important that understanding yourself as more than just your role, your position is really essential. And she also shares some affirmations and wisdom for all people, especially Black women, who are are navigating academia or navigating challenging careers. I know that you're going to get a whole lot from this episode, so be sure to tune in to the end. Let's get into it. So I feel really honored and excited to be welcoming Dr. Pat Sanders onto the Unconditionally Worthy podcast today. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Pat Sanders is the chair and professor in the Department of Communications at the University of North Alabama, where her teaching specialty is journalism and digital media production. She joined the faculty at UNA in 1999, so she has a whole wealth of experience of navigating academia and understanding the ins and outs of what makes someone successful long-term in that type of environment. Before joining academia, Dr. Pat worked in broadcast media, primarily as a radio journalist in the commercial and public sectors, as a public speaker, and professional voiceover artist. You're going to hear her journalist, reporter, voiceover voice. It's very calming and soothing. Dr. Pat hosts a podcast called This Prof Life, Women of Color in Higher Education. And she shares on this podcast the personal stories and experiences of women of color working in the academy. And I was honored to be a guest on that podcast recently. She is a dynamic educator and inspiring speaker in the classroom and for professional and religious organizations. And Dr. Pat has won numerous awards for her 
her journalism work, as well as her work inside and outside of the classroom. Her research interests center on audio, social and digital media, and women in leadership roles. And her research has also evolved to include women's diversity issues in society and the workplace, particularly in higher education. So welcome, Dr. Pat. I'm so grateful to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm just so glad to be here and to talk about this subject. And I enjoyed you on the podcast that we did a few days ago. I told you, you probably are now my in my top three favorite people <laughs> to interview. <laughs> Thank you. It was a lot of fun. We had a really great conversation. And I'm looking forward to kind of having the tables or the microphones turned and getting oh, yeah. to, <laughs> to ask you questions and really have you share your wisdom and expertise here today. And so I'd love to start out the way I started all of my guest um, interviews by asking you to share a bit about your own self-worth journey. Okay, thank you. Well, you know, it's been a journey that I've been on since I was a young girl. And I've told this story before. I found my voice around the age of 10. And that's when I had an encounter at a school that I had to go to to help with integration when that occurred in around 1969, 1970. Before that time, I was going to an all-Black school, all-Black teachers, everyone in the lunchroom, janitors, everywhere you look, Black folk, right? And so I had to go to an integrated school when I was 10 years old, which meant I was in the fifth grade. And I uh, was had an encounter with a young boy who would sit behind me and call me a monkey. Mm. And I, I was, I, I recall now as an adult, you know how we look back at our lives and remember how I would think about my dad and he and my mom taught us not to be fighting and, you know, not be in these situations where you used your hands and et cetera. But I remember apologizing in my head and saying, I'm sorry, daddy, but I'm going to have to tell this boy, I may have to have this encounter. So one day he whispered in my ear, the teacher couldn't hear him, but mm-hmm. I could hear him clearly. And he, he would just lean forward and say, Patricia, you're a monkey. And one day I turned around and I called him by his name and I told him, basically, if you ever call me a monkey again, I whispered it back to him. I'm going to clean the floor with you. Mm. And he sat back, eyes big. We went all the way through high school. I never had an ounce of trouble from him after that. And, you know, now as an adult and over the years, I've thought about that encounter. I think about how probably frightening it was for them too, but I don't know why people revert to degrading another person. Maybe it's their backgrounds, what they've been taught, what they've experienced. But I found my voice at that point Mm. and I've never looked back since. So the person who I saw before that is sort of, shy, you know, always wanting to be the people pleaser, you know, still I'm, I'm take care of people. I, I love that part of my personality. I still like to do good, be kind, take care of people, but it's almost now to the point of don't try me because mm. <laughs> I've gotten older to the point where it's like, uh, don't have to put up with that anymore. And I did begin to find myself worth on that journey. Had excellent parents who always, primarily my dad, who was my hero, he died in five years ago in mm. 2016. And he just always taught us that we were somebody. And, mm. you know, I grew up in the 60s, which was the time of James Brown, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. You know, all of these artists were out there, Marvin Gaye with what's going on. I was, I was living during that time. Didn't have an appreciation as much for the music as I do today in its message. But I just always felt like I was somebody. 
Mm. Um, more of that self-worth journey I encountered probably when I started working in the academy. And you mm-hmm. and I talked about imposter syndrome. I've never had that really because I did work as a news director, anchor out around people and et cetera. But we know that the academy is a different type of business model, organizational model. And when I first came to the university, I did not have my PhD. I had a wealth of experience, almost 20 years in the area I was teaching in. But being the competitive person I am, you know, and not in a bad way, But if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I knew I had to get the degree. Mm. So I wanted to be on that same level playing field with everybody else to be able to reach the full professorate, which I've done now. But I've always had a sense of worth. I, not to say that it hadn't, I haven't had doubt about it at some points along my career. There have been a couple of moves I've wanted to make at this university that I've not been able to do. And that sort of made me question maybe Mm. my abilities or personality, or is it because of the color of your skin? And some of it was not necessarily by white folk. It was by black folk, which Mm. is really interesting in itself. But I've pretty much had a pretty healthy sense and dose of self-worth throughout my life. And I I attribute that to my parents. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, I just, I really appreciate you sharing your story. I think about the amount of courage and sense of personal power that Mm -hmm. you had at age 10 to tell off this kid. And it really does sound like that was instilled in you by your dad, by your parents, and how significant that must have been, especially as you transitioned to an integrated school and as you navigated overt racism, right? And and it's just really incredible. And I, I wonder if it sounds like your dad telling you, you are somebody and you really believing that really contributed to your sense of, I have a voice, I can stand up for myself, I'm worthy. What else do you think helped you navigate the racism you experienced or the challenges that you've experienced? I think just being primarily open. I love diversity. I love my Black skin. I love my Black people. I love my brown sisters and brothers, but I, in general, love people, period. It does not matter the color of their skin. You know, again, going back to I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud to be a Black woman, but I've always had open arms for Mm. other people. And I think that that also opened doors for me, being able to navigate different environments and majority environments all of my life from the time I was 10 years old until now. So when you're going and growing in those types of environments, if you don't know who you are, you would have a lot of difficulty. Mm -hmm. I was well accepted at uh, the radio stations that I worked for. And that's because I had just as much skill and credibility as anyone else who brought something to the table, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So again, that goes back to my dad who always said, all of his children would be educated. And he made sure of that. There were four of us and all four of us, my oldest brother has since passed away from sickle cell Mm. at the age of 40, but he was educated. He was college educated. So I think that right there sort of helped offset some doubts that you had, because if I've got the same skill set or even better, Sometimes we do have better skill sets than others, right? And that's not bragging. I've ran into people who are better skilled than I am at certain things. If I've got the credentials and I've got the willfulness to want to do well, I think that helps your self-esteem. I mm-hmm. think um, having a support system, you know, I've been married for almost 40 years now and I have a great support system in my husband in my children and uh, had it from my family and friends. So I think that's important too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah. And it sounds like you really, you know, I think there are a lot of people who have the things that you're talking about and still struggle to believe it about themselves. And so it sounds like you really like take at face value your skills, your accomplishments, the support you have, and you don't question it, right? I think the struggles that a lot of people have, the struggles that I have had in my own life is sort of questioning the things that seem, you know, clear on the surface and not necessarily believing, oh, this is true of me. Oh, I am accomplished. Oh, I do deserve this. And it sounds like you really had a grounding in the fact that, you know, you are talented, you can do a lot, you are just as qualified and really believe that about yourself, which seemed like it was very helpful for you. I think that too goes to the idea of where I had to work, you know, and again, if you didn't walk into the building or walk in knowing that you could do something, I don't want your listeners and viewers to think that I'm being braggadocious. And Mm -hmm. it isn't that I have not questioned some things along the way, but what I've learned to do is offset those doubts when uh, I had a friend tell me on an interview that I did with her on for my podcast, it was a counselor. Actually, when I did the season I'm counseling and, and uh, self-care, she said she had a friend who was suffering so badly from imposter syndrome. And she told her to stop and look around the wall at the degrees that are mm-hmm. on the wall. Uh, look at the awards that you've worn, uh, won look at what you've accomplished, look at where you are. And I think for people who still struggle with that, sometimes we have to take a step back and say, okay, you did that. No one did it for you. You Mm -hmm. did that. And when I go to those places or have some doubts, like I did a a year ago or so, right around the time of the pandemic, something happened on my job that really set me back a little bit because Mm -hmm. I was highly qualified for the position. I had a passion for it wanted it. And then a misunderstanding over an email being transparent and talk to the person later. And they said, I'm sorry, I just totally misrepresented you with that email and also just missed the message period because the email was written answering exactly what the person had asked for. They apologized, asked me to forgive them, which I did because I'm a Christian and I believe in forgiveness, but it stung for a long time. Mm-hmm. Because it was something that I was passionate about working. It did crank my tractor. It did put the fuel in my tank. Mm-hmm. And then that opportunity was snatched away from me, I think. And on top of that, it was given to a white female who mm. probably was qualified credentially, but not with the experiences to be in that role. And later, another black female was chosen for it. And, you know, uh, that did sting. And it put me in a dark place for a while until I started looking at what I had accomplished. Mm. And some of that was my husband saying, but look at where you are. Look at what you've accomplished. And, you know, my daughter and I talk all the time. She's like, mom, she would tell me, this is what's happening in your life and all the good things. And I'm going to tell you truthfully, prayer. It took a lot of prayer Mm. and forgiveness because even after I had forgiven, the offense was still there. Mm -hmm. So we have to learn how to work through that, right? Mm -hmm. You're the the counselor, psychologist, the clinician. We have to learn how to work through those hurts. And I'm in a good place now, but it took me several, probably the most of 2020 Mm -hmm. and into the spring to get past that and get to the point where I am now. When I think about that situation and about that person, I don't feel uh, bitter Mm -hmm. or hurt or angry. And I was all of those things. And and I'd like to share that 
when those types of things start happening and they start to change who you are as a person, you have got to do a lot of self-reflection. And that's what I did. And, and I really prayed about it to get out of what I call that funk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to. And, you know, another way in which I began to look at it was I had prayed about it and said, if this is a door that's supposed to open for me, let it open seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And I always say when something is for me, there may be a little bit of, of questioning or a little bit of trepidation about it. But if it's for you, you feel pretty comfortable. Well, I felt Mm -hmm. comfortable, but the door didn't open seamlessly. So Mm -hmm. I began to get to the point of maybe that position was not for you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. It can be incredibly disappointing Mm -hmm. to not get something that we think we're qualified for, that we've worked hard for, that we feel like we can do an excellent job. Mm -hmm. And I think especially sort of the feelings of injustice related to it not feeling like, okay, well, you know, they found a candidate that was better qualified or more experienced, but feeling like the reason I didn't get it was because something someone else did that really wasn't fair, right? (laughs) Or aligned with what I was, you know what I mean? And so that certainly can be so difficult to work through, right? Mm -hmm. That feeling of it wasn't fair, it wasn't just, something got taken away from me. And so I appreciate you sharing kind of what helped you to get through that, remembering all that you have accomplished, right? Remembering the wonderful life that you built for yourself and also praying and sort of connecting to something beyond the, the world that we see here and sort of trusting that there's something bigger going on or something more going on and sort of trusting in that and working through the process of self-forgiveness to not get mired in it and feel sort of resentful and stuck, which can, can so easily happen. Yes, it can destroy who you are. And I have never been a person to hold on to grudges. And have, you know, at my age, I've been through a lot of difficult situations, but I've never held grudges. And so that was so unlike me. And it wasn't a grudge. It was painful at first, but then it was anger. And I don't like walking around being an angry person. Anger anger just zaps all of your energy. It zaps all of who you are as a person, your thinking power, your clarity, and all of that. And I had to get out of that space. Mm-hmm. And so I worked hard to do that. You know, I talked to close friends about it who showed empathy. And uh, these were black and white friends who said, yeah, you shouldn't have, that shouldn't have happened to you. And it shouldn't mm-hmm. have. But perhaps there was a reason um, mm-hmm. that it happened that way. And I could also do that type of work like I'm doing now through my podcast, through my research, through conversations. So those are the types of methods that I use now to continue the work that I love to do. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that wisdom with our listeners. So you've touched on this a little bit, and I wonder if you could sort of go a little bit more deeply into how it has felt, how it's been to navigate academia as a Black woman, right? So you've been in academia for more than 20 years, right? And you've clearly succeeded, right? And not everybody, you know, gets tenure and, you know, gets to the full professor position and, you know, is the 
you know, gets the administrative roles and you've clearly navigated this very well, very successfully. And so I'd love to hear you share kind of what has that felt like specifically as a Black woman? What have been the challenges? What have been the things that you've drawn on for a sense of strength and and resilience in the midst of all of that? I will start off maybe with the challenges that I've had, and they are not many. I mean, they're very uh, minimal or few, I should say. One of them was the job incident or the position that uh, I was seeking. And the other would be, I work at a primarily white institution. Every once in a while, I would have evaluations say things that were not true, which research Mm -hmm. shows happens to Black women all the time. I've had maybe a couple of incidents with, let me give you one. Back, I was thinking about this the other day. I had a white male student that I was fairly close to as a mentor, as a professor, and he would come and talk to me not only about class assignments, but about personal issues in his life. And I was trying to help him walk through those things and always had an open door. I'm still that way. I have an open door for my students. But I was in class teaching and on the subject of when uh, Don Amos called the, the basketball team of primarily Black women nappy-headed hoes. And he was on one of the number one shows, I think it was in New York. And he, these girls were playing in a championship and he was saying all, this, all of these degrading things about him. And they were smart women. I mean, they were going to medical school and you know, dental school and engineering. Mm-hmm. And, and I was talking about that as an example of diversity and how not to cover things in media. And this young man that I had mentored spoke out loud in class, maybe they were hoes. Yeah, that was my expression as well. And so having to still be the adult in the room, the professional in the room, mm-hmm. I countered him and basically took him to school and educated him on that situation. And I've had some very, very good things happen at this university. And it's not a bad place to work. I don't ever get up in the morning saying, I don't want to go to work. I cannot go deal with that place because it's, it's been good. Mm-hmm. I think it's just those little uh, foxes that eat at the vines, right? At the root mm-hmm. of it. Every once in a while, you get those situations that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And some of it I could tie back to probably the diversity issue. But for the most part, I would say that it's been a really good journey here. Good. Well, I think that's great to hear. And it sounds like seeking out mentorship and building relationships has been a really big part of what helped you to be successful. Mm -hmm. If you encountered someone, maybe a young woman of color who is entering academia and a little nervous, right? Because there is, there are a lot of horror stories and stories Mm -hmm. of people not getting tenure, even though they're supposed to. And it's great that that's not been your experience, but I wonder what advice you would give or what recommendations you, you would have for someone like that? You know, I talked to, uh, I mentor a young staff person here on campus. And then whenever I get a chance to talk to young women on the podcast or I need to blog some, but whenever I blog, these would be my recommendations. Build yourself a network and a relationship with people within your department. And if you cannot do that, you build it with someone without. A lot of my strongest relationships are outside of my department. Not to say that I don't have a collegial relationship with my coworkers and my colleagues. And, you know, even as chair now, anything I ask for, they jump on board with, they're on deck with both feet, hands open saying, I can do this, I can do this. 
But early on, I built really stronger relationships outside of my department. Mm -hmm. So I would say have that network at work. Do get a mentor, but also have a sponsor. And we know that that is different from being mentored. Mentors are going to listen to your issues, your problems, try to get you uh, somewhere career-wise. But a sponsor is the one who will take you underneath their wings and make sure you get to the next step or you Mm -hmm. get to whatever position it is you want, either at your current university or your current organization or outside of it. I would also tell them to not over-service themselves. Black women tend to do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Not only in the academy, but outside, because we're taught as amongst our people to give. We're giving people, most of us. Mm-hmm. And we're also very uh, familiar, right? We love family. Mm-hmm. And so whatever we do, we tend to take it on. But you don't want to get into, I think you mentioned it the other day or someone I talked to, that mammy complex either. Mm-hmm. You want to avoid that at all costs. But right. I would tell them to get a mentor, a sponsor, build a network. And then believe in yourself. I love the name of your podcast because we all have value and we all have worth. Mm -hmm. And if you've earned that PhD or that doctorate or whatever it is in your field or your master's, you're qualified and you're credentialed and you do deserve to be where you are if you work hard. And then a lot of times you get to a place you don't work as hard, you work smart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then have a good support outside of your work. All of us need that. And for Black women too, and in the Black community, get a counselor or a therapist. Mm -hmm. I sincerely believe in that. You know, used to be a strong stigma attached to that. And uh, we're coming around now. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, talk to a therapist. (laughs) I think, you know, that's such, such great advice you're giving, right? To build a network to in or outside of your department, to find mentors, to find people who will sponsor you and really be invested in moving to the next level. And, you know, I totally affirm the self-belief because I think that can be such a big thing, right? Is trying to use academia, really anything, but certainly in academia and, you know, academic accomplishments as proof that you're worthy is a really hard, it's a hard, hard pursuit and things will go so much better if you already believe in yourself mm-hmm. and then you, and then you pursue the accomplishments, but not as a way to sort of prove that you're worthy, but as evidence of mm-hmm. the belief that you already have, that you have something to contribute, that you have something to say, that you have something meaningful, right. To offer. And so I, I love that you're sort of encouraging self-belief and then also seeking out therapy or counseling, right. Spaces where you can talk through what you're experiencing, where you can make sense of it and and navigate it. I think one of the challenges that, you know, we can have when we're in academic spaces is, you know, or just predominantly white spaces of where people of color is the microaggressions often cause us to question ourselves. And so there can be so much like, was that because, why did they do that? Is that because, right? Like all of this kind of questioning. And so having mentorship, having colleagues, having community and having a therapist who understands can be a really powerful way to sort of get out of our heads, mm-hmm. validate our own experience, and then sort of decide how do we want to move forward? What, we, what do we want to do so we don't stay stuck or start hiding or shrinking or, you know, playing small, which serves, certainly doesn't serve us and also doesn't serve the, the place that we're in. I love it when you said, don't play small. I mean, you know, I remember times as a younger person, 
walking into a room and not being comfortable in my skin, but just trying to survey the landscape and feeling somewhat othered or smaller, you know. But if you know who you are, and again, going back to skill set, to knowledge, to credentials, you deserve to be where you are. And if people are not respecting you for that, start looking. Go somewhere where you are or do something else that makes you satisfied with what you have to do for the rest of your life, unless you're a wealthy, wealthy person. (laughs) And that is work. And also, I would tell young academics, uh, academicians to know what your tenure and promotion policies are. Mm. Get a check sheet and make sure I've checked off. Okay, I have to have two publications, peer reviewed. Check, Mm -hmm. check, get on the research. And it takes a couple of years out to get those things published and counted. You know, we can say in progress, but at some point, that department is going to want published on there. Present at panels, become a thought leader and expert in your area. Also, uh, know the timeline that you have. Build up as much as you can those collegial relationships because I've never seen anything like academia Whereas someone's other attitude towards you can actually cost you your job. You know, Mm. you're depending on these people to say, okay, you're good enough to be here and we're going to give you a permanent job unless you do something absolutely wacky. Mm -hmm. So make sure you're in touch with those people. Doesn't mean that you have to go around kissing butt or anything like that, but talk to them, you know, make sure you maybe collaborate. And, you know, I love collaboration. It doesn't, I'm not saying being fake. I'm just saying get out there and be yourself and be who you are. Mm -hmm. Also in meetings, make sure that your voice is heard. You know, sometimes it could be a little rocky when you're trying to get tenure, right? You have to know when to say something, how to say it, and what to say. But Mm -hmm. also that's how you need that close friend. You can say, if I say this, you know, until you get to a point where you are tenured and you're empowered to be able to use your voice. It's so important. I think it was Amy McCulley. I may have the name wrong, but I think she's at Harvard and she teaches us how to think big, mm-hmm. you know, with your body language before mm-hmm. you go into a situation, stretch your arms out, you know, lean back in a chair. You'll see guys doing it all the time. They come into a room, they get their shirts ready and they do this. <laughs> Women don't come into a room and do that. I never walk into a room and do this. They do because they're feeling comfortable and confident, right? Mm -hmm. They're not leaning back in the chair. But she says, stretch out. That makes you feel more powerful and bigger. And that also helps you to be able to navigate and get into that room and be who you are. And to Black women and young people, women who are coming on now don't have as much as an issue as it could be on the job an issue, but know who you are as a person and as a woman. Mm -hmm. It's so important that you know that you are important and that you're needed in the room and your Mm -hmm. voice needs to be heard. And people should stop hiring people who are diverse and saying, we want you in the room to help develop policy and rules and regulations. And we want to hear your voice. And then you shut them down. Yep. We shouldn't do that. It's not helpful. I agree. (laughs) I agree. Well, you know, you've shared so much wisdom, I think, especially for those who are on the path in academia. And I know that People who are on that path are really going to be interested to check out your podcast and connect to you further. So I'd love, we'll link everything in the show notes, but I also love if you just share the title of your podcast again, let people know where they can find it, where they can find you and how they can connect to you further. Okay. My podcast is This Prof Life, as in This Professor Life. 
this prop life, women of color in higher education. I do have a website, which is drpatsanders.com. That's D-R-P-A-T-S-A-N-D-E-R-S.com. I have all of my socials listed there, but also I'm on Apple, I'm on Spotify, I'm on Amazon. I am, I am everywhere, which I'm proud of. And I'm trying to reach a download goal and subscribers at this time too. And I'm pretty close. I'm about to end season four, but I'll have some new content coming out in January. I actually try to go by the semester schedule to keep Mm. myself sane, but also I know what I can do uh, within a certain uh, parameter of time. But also you can find me on Facebook at Dr. Pat Sanders and on Twitter is Dr. Pat Sanders one on Facebook. I told you that one, but on Instagram is uh, Dr. Pat Sanders as well. And it's the number one. Wonderful. Well, and I'm on LinkedIn too, Pat Sanders, <laughs> PhD. <laughs> awesome. They can find you everywhere. Well, thank you so much for lending your time, your energy, your wisdom to the podcast. It was really incredibly valuable and really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and I just love speaking with you. Thanks. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Adia Gooden. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Wadaboy.